David Young. Yes. Welcome to Breakfast with Bob Z. <laughs> well, thank you. It's an honor to be invited. Pleasure having you here. Thank you. On this uh, rather <clears throat> unusual day, you know, I think it's still Typhoon 3, right? Uh, or it just got came down, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, this morning it was Typhoon 3. and But it's the sun after blowing. the typhoon. This morning I was yeah. rope skipping on the roof and the sun came out and it was something really, really hot. I'm like, how can this be T3, you know? Yes. What well, has been what, like five days since this T1, T3 has mm -hmm. been around, or six Unusual, days? Yeah. Yes, has Very been funny. just roaming. Normally they come and go, right? Yes. A sign of the times, perhaps? Oh, I know. I mean, all sorts of strange I know. weather and I know. phenomenon in general. I know. But anyway, here's the change to the change makers hey. in this world. Well, cheers. To make a difference. This, I cannot rave enough about this signature coffee. Thank you. Yes. First time having it. Yes. We call it the cocoa and it's a vegan coffee mm. um, and it's essentially what we call a four-dimensional coffee. So you've got the coffee which is organic fair trade needless to say mm. but it's roasted in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And it's a Honduras bean which we've married with the milks we use that are yes. mostly in bonsoi. Right. So you've got your coffee, you've got your plant-based milk and then the secret is not a secret because I'm revealing it now. <laughs> that, uh, it's what we add. It's the third dimension. So yes. we add the raw cacao butter. Yes, that was the big surprise. I was like, "What? What is that aroma?" And it's kind of I want to say it, but I'm like, "But usually that doesn't appear no, in no, coffee." You don't. And what it does, it adds a, it adds like a, a texture and a mm. thickness and a creaminess. Yep. to the coffee and then of course you've got the uh, chocolate aroma on the nose mm. and then the fourth dimension is uh, all our coffee cups are biodegradable mm. so the coffee cups themselves plus the paper lids so we call it a four-dimension coffee yep it's something we've been working on and developing over the three years here right and now we're kind of ready to take it to the main street so to speak well for anyone who hasn't tried this you know four-dimensional signature manna coffee I urge you to come try it I mean I'll, I'll be honest I'm not a big coffee drinker um, I'm not the type that you know I need a coffee every morning no. but but this I'll come back thank you yes yeah likewise I've been an addict you know sometimes I want to walk around with you know that, uh, into my blood vein I know <laughs> but like you I'm not I'm not addicted to coffee I right love, I love my tea and but I do love what I call a coffee moment. Mm. Sitting in a coffee shop somewhere in Amsterdam, Very much so. San Francisco, or Hong Kong, yes. with a good book, mm. nice coffee, or just you know writing and and talking of writing, you, you you're a writer yourself. You're a published author. Yes. Um, Perhaps less people know about that side of you, right? You know that feels like such a long time ago. But when in fact I think the most recent book I published was maybe 2014. And I've published four books, or maybe 2015 actually. And I've published four books altogether. Mm. And they're mostly on Zen Buddhism yes. and the inner life rather than the outer life? Very much so. Um, how to apply Zen to daily lives. Um, or in a, in a way it could be called Zen for dummies. <laughs> Mindfulness for dummies. Right. Um, I have been exposed to Zen and my family, my, my dad was a very devout Buddhist. Um, he was very into meditation and 
He was a vegetarian um, well, before I turned one. So he's so, the original inspiration. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everywhere I go or any interview I give, if anyone asks me, you know, who is the person I respect most, who is the person I get the most inspiration from, in terms of a lot of things, he, he, he influenced, inspired and changed me in all ways, really. Well, first of all is um, the fact that he was Buddhist. Um, now, when I was a kid, you know, I was just following him to you know, temples, monasteries, and religious rituals. I had no idea what no, I was doing. You wouldn't. So, I consider it just my family duty. <laughs> you know, your parents go, you go. Good Chinese boy. Um, and of course, by the time when I went to college, um, I was m spending most time away from home. Mm. So, I skipped most of these activities. And then it was around year 2000 when, you know, that was after I graduated. I was just going through a little bit, just like anyone, you know, you have your ups and downs and kind of setbacks and things like that. And back in Hong Kong by then. that was still in New York. Okay. And, you know, I was just, you know, going through a little bit of my down moments. And my dad just said, ah, you know, if you want, you know, here are a few books, you know, go if you have time, go read them. Maybe they may help you. Now, turn out those are, you know, Buddhism related or Buddha teaching basically right. in a very layman way, right. like kind of the preliminary, you know, 101 type of things. And, and then I start to realize, you know, who Buddha really was and what the teaching is about. And it doesn't really need to be about a religion. It doesn't need to be a religion, in fact. It is a philosophy and a wisdom of and life. Buddha himself would have been the first one to say that, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, he did not create a religion. No. Um, so, he, he, he just a teacher of life, basically. That's who he was. So, that was my moment to... So, my dad was the first person to introduce me the wisdom of Buddha. And you remember reading those books and going, wow, this makes so much sense. You know what? Once I started, I mean, it's like... Um, you know, novels that you cannot, you, you just, you were hooked. I couldn't stop. Yeah. So for like from 2001 to around 2005, I think for five years, you know, most, I won't say every weekend, but most of the weekends or weeknights or travel time, I would be reading something related to Zen. Mm. Now, I certainly don't pretend to be an expert in Zen, but it inspired, it enlightened me. And most important of all, I think, is it transformed a lot of my negative thoughts mm. into positive mm. thoughts. It empowered me, it enabled me to, it, it gave me this kind of internal mechanism. It's not like someone give me a gift or buy me anything, sure. you know, pampering yeah. or yeah. even luxurious, yeah. it's just, it gave me this wisdom, this skill, yes. this skill. How young were you? Um, 2000, I was 24. Okay. Um, so at that point, the first message I got was, if you want to be, if you want to, want to live a happy life, you want to make other people happy. If you don't want to suffer, you don't want to cause suffering on other beings. 
which I thought it makes total sense, right? I mean, now I'm a science major. I study engineering at Columbia. Right. So I look at that actually very much like physics, mm. which is the law of you know action and reaction. Mm. No matter how much energy or force you give out, mm. you get the same mm. level of energy and force mm. back. Technically, that is karma. Yes. That's how karma yes. works. So, so in two thousand one, mind yes, made sense. Oh, of I, something that is more intuitive than something that supposedly is spiritual yeah. or abstract. Yeah. Yeah. But my scientific mind connect the dots. Mm. And this is a very deep subject. I'd love to chat <laughs> to you about this. Uh, you know how science and spirituality of right. There's no longer any difference. There's no longer yes. discrepancy. The, what I could call come full circle and now come together and it's like I would definitely say so it's coming full circle yeah, yeah. yes okay but just to go back a little sure. bit to your early days right. so your father inspired you um, opened the door in, uh, inwards towards mm -hmm. Zen Buddhism mm -hmm. and Zen as a lifestyle and you'd already graduated yes. right and you were on your way back to Hong Kong by then I came, I moved back to Hong Kong end of 2003. Right. Like I, you, I call it 2004 because it was like the end of 2003. So Just after SARS then? Yeah. After SARS. I, I, I actually, I was planning to move back earlier in the year, but of course SARS postponed it. it. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly when we opened Life Cafe. Do you remember Life? Yeah, that's exactly when we opened Life yes. during SARS. We didn't, we didn't open our doors until end of March. Right. Oh, wow. But yeah, we were like running around during SARS and you know, locations were available then. And Hong Kong was kind of, sure. you know, shaken. Um, looking back at it now, I, I think, I mean, of course, we, we always have to keep the people who passed away in mind, but it did really inspire Hong Kong to become healthier, to change many ways, right? But yeah, just to not to interrupt your story. No, so but... 2004. <laughs> um, 2004, yes. So, uh, so, by the way, just to go back to that point was when I learned about that relationship or that correlation between you know, basically what you do to others and what the world will do to karma. you, karma, um, which I thought is totally scientific, um, that was when I turned vegetarian. Mm. So... Without that moment, which was early 2001, 17 years ago, there would be no Green Monday, mm. there would be no Green Common. Mm. Um, just one day, um, you know, in, in our house in New Jersey, I, I told my dad that, you know, I think I don't want to eat meat anymore. Mm. You know, why do I want to kill animals and hurt other lives? just for my so-called, mm. you know, enjoyment. And of course he endorsed it, right? Mm. I mean, he was already a vegetarian. So, so yes, um, that was the, the life-changing moment. So you see that as your turning point? Oh, absolutely. That's perhaps your Eureka moment. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Change perspective, 180 degrees. And then you came to Hong Kong. Yep. What did you do first thing coming back? No, now, um, just like anyone, I was still in my 20s back then. So coming back, in fact, the first thing I did was I moved to Shanghai. So even though I said I moved back to Hong Kong in, uh -huh. you know, very late 2003, early 2004, um, 
I was here, but I was spending a bulk of time in Shanghai. My family business is in retail and in real estate. Right. And there were business in, well, they are, there still are business in Shanghai. And for someone who spent, I was in the States for over 11 years. And so from a professional or from an adult standpoint, I had never been about, uh, exposed to China. Mm. You know, I visited Ch uh, China as a kid. Yes as a tourist actually. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I had no experience. So, so the first thing I did was I live in Shanghai and, and work in Shanghai for with about, with the family business for about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah, and, and learn my Mandarin. <laughs> so my Mandarin, far from good, but is a little bit better than average right, <laughs> because good. of my days in Shanghai. Good, 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 good. Yeah, of course, important, yeah. right? Yeah. And then after Shanghai, came back to Came Hong back, Kong. helped my dad. Um, now my dad was already, besides being successful in business, um, he was... Was he self-made? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he Not was... from your grandparents? No. He came to Hong Kong in the 70s, in the early 70s, um, and nothing. I mean, I still consider, I mean, that's why he is so inspiring. Um, is that um, everything was earned and no one gave anything to him. And his path actually was, I mean, that in itself is a whole different interview and story. Mm -hmm. That was such a difficult path. Will you write this story one day? I have done a little bit of writing mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. um, and I've given talks. Yes. about my dad in many occasions. Right. So, but I was helping him because uh, besides the business, he was already heavily, if not even more devoted to philan philanthropy, basically. He was spending a lot of time in rural areas, extremely impoverished areas in China or other parts of the world, and using his business mind to try to help these people. Right. Because he remembered the days when he was poor. He was born in the 1940s. In and China. In China. He went through cultural revolution. Mm. I mean, he went through extreme hardship. Wow, so if he was born in the 40s, he would have been a young boy during the cultural revolution. Yeah. That was, so the way we were brought up, uh, we were raised, like me, my sister, my brother, um, now, first of all, my dad, in terms of his career, was still uh, kind of in his early stage. So, um, we lived a reasonable but also a humble um, upbringing. It, there was no like luxury or no, just no room to indulge, like, just reasonable. Yeah. And, and but at, by the time he had more means, he started to you know, go back and build schools, you know, donate books, uh, build hospitals, help farmers. So Back in his hometown? Uh, in, like in Guangdong. Guangdong, right. Um, and soon after in many places in China. Mm -hmm. So anyway, when I came back uh, to Hong Kong, besides helping you know, business, um, investment, things like that, the other half of the time, really, like half of the time, you know, I would follow him to these unknown places. 
and we're not talking about like one trip every couple years. We're talking about like one trip every quarter wow. or even once a month sometimes wow. if they're short trips, yeah. like weekends, you know, yeah. Monday to Friday, you work your butt off and then like Saturday morning, like we would fly somewhere or drive up to Guangdong somewhere. And to me, he lived the ultimate, nowadays we, we have a term, you know, called social entrepreneur. Mm. Back then there wasn't such a term, no. but he was using his entrepreneurial spirit and experience and network and skill sets to channel those resources for good. So he was living that. He was the, yes. like, the, the, the walking example of that. Mm. And he donates majority of the money that he made to various charities and yes. organizations. Yes. So, so I guess that plants a seed. Now, one thing that was important that led to ultimately what became Green Monday was that I thought, you know, it's good to be doing business on one hand, you know, Monday to Friday, let's say, and then helping people on weekends yes. or on your own time. But I was having this question or this, you know, question mark in my mind, which is, is it possible that the two can be combined? That the work itself could be self-sustaining. Mm. You know, you do need to make money because yes. otherwise you can't survive. No. Um, you need to pay rent and you need to obviously pay your staff. But, yeah. but besides the business hopefully being profitable and sustainable is it in itself could help people. Was there a seed of inspiration for that insight? Were you inspired by other movements globally around the world? Did you see a pop star doing this or do you remember that point? I think, you know, the, the person who introduced social entrepreneurship to me um, was Francis Ngai, mm. who is my fellow co-founder yes. of Green Monday. Right, he was doing it in a different way back then. He was the, he founded Social Ventures Hong Kong, right. SVHK, and he helped build a few, well back then a few, now many yeah. social ventures. So there's Diamond Cap, which is a taxi service for disabled. Mm. There is Dialogue in the Dark, which is for visually impaired. And he was championing this movement mm. on using business and entrepreneurship right. for social. And he and I sit down, now he also, he's a runner, he's a marathon runner. And he discovered that the less meat he eats, the faster he performs. So he went from, indeed, he went from Green Monday to Green uh, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, ultimately 7 days. And obviously, so we were having lunch over, yeah. a, you know, over a vegetarian lunch. And at that point, I was already a vegetarian for 10 years. And he was er always urging me, he's like, David, you know, you have this heart for the world, you have this heart for the society. Um, and you have the means. Hey, come on, you know, let's start something. Yes. So every other month, you know, he and I would catch up and 
hey, can we do something for the elderly? Can we do something for the youth? And finally, you know, again, because he was mostly vegetarian already, so finally over a veggie lunch, a Thai restaurant, and we were having a vegetarian pad Thai, and then like, he just popped the question, he's like, by the way, is there anything with food that we can do that can be social? What year was this? 2011. 2011, okay, yeah. Now, he and I have been going back and forth for a couple years. Yes. But the conversation about food came in 2011. It's like, is there anything we can do about food? Yes. And then I'm like, you know, at that point, of course, I knew about climate change, which majority of people, now, thanks to you, you were spreading that uh, movement and that influence. But still, on a grand society, macro level, it was still only a very, very tiny people, group yeah, yeah. of people who were talking about it. So, because the, the, the major thing about that was, once I know about you know, the environment damage, the connection, right? Yeah. Again, connecting those dots, then you realize that eating animals or not eating animals is not just a personal choice anymore. Just like smoking, right? Mm. Technically, smoking is a personal thing. Mm. But if you start influencing people around you, then we need to ban smoking. Correct. At least indoor. Correct. Now, if eating meat hurts other people and future generations, th that was the thing that was in mm. my head was, mm. then even if people don't go vegan, they should at least cut down. Right. Because you are in, right. Uh, right. affecting other yeah. people. So anyway, that was the moment when all those things start to connect. Um, my plant-based diet, my inspiration from my dad, um, Francis coming into my life and pushing me every other time and say, hey, start something, let's do something together. Um, and then to the whole idea of combining charity, business, entrepreneurship, innovation, startup, and that's when I start to come up with the blueprints mm. of what is Green Monday mm. today. Mm. Nice, yeah. That was 2011, 2012. It's funny that, um, you know, back in the day people would become vegetarian or vegan for animal welfare, most, of course. most predominantly, right? Because people cared for animals, they didn't want to hurt them, they didn't want to eat them. And then maybe 10, 15 years later, it became for one's health. Mm -hmm. I want to eat vegetarian or vegan plant-based for my health. You know, I'm practicing yoga. And then more recently, in the last six or seven years, it's become more for the climate, more for the planet. Right. Yeah. It's what I've always called the pink elephant in the room. Mm. Just sitting there, I'd be going to all these environmental protection lunches, yes. government, you know, all for the environment, but there'd be nothing vegetarian on the table. Yes. And I'd be going, how? How can we be trying to protect the environment at the same time? Mm. But it, there were, the dots, had, dots hadn't been connected, yes. at least in the majority of people's minds. And now we've come through this, this period of change where the young millennials are becoming vegan or plant-based. Right. For the environment, yes. first and foremost. Yes. yes. So it's a whole different way of looking 
at global warming, climate change, etc. Now, if you fast forward to this month, right? What um, are we now? August, August 2018. 2018. Um, it was a big surprise and a huge honor when about four months ago, I think, I got the email from Hong Kong Tetler along with Peggy, yes. Peggy Chan of Grassroots. Congratulations for making the cover, oh. by the way. I received that email and they said, hey, we are considering doing a sustainability issue, mm. like an issue dedicated to sustainability. And of course I say, hey, you know, that's awesome, you know, with your network, your readership. And then another few weeks later, they said, actually, we want to make a cover, make sustainability the cover. And we are considering asking Peggy and yourself to be on the cover. Now, again, talk about that huge change from mm. six, seven years ago mm. to right now. Mm. It is, I mean, and now, now that the issue has come out and I believe that they and the society in general have been giving extremely positive feedback. Mm. Say, hey, it's time. It's yes. great that you are leading this. Yes. Now, Tatler, after all, is known for luxury, right? Mm. Kind of prestige, luxury, high society. Mm. Um, six years ago, if we are saying, you know, vegetarian or meatless, plant-based diet, even three years ago. Even three years ago. I mean, yeah. to even appear as like a tiny corner, mm. you know, of a page yeah. would be news, yeah. let alone a dedicated issue, let alone the cover. Yeah. But, but it is, I really look at that as almost, it is certainly a milestone for, for the space, for the whole ecosystem and a landmark moment that tells you that people are looking at green, sustainability, kindness, compassion, conscious living, all of these as the new common, common as the, you know, green is the new black, yeah. as they call it. Yeah. Or, you know, recently I saw, you know, this great slogan, which is zero waste is sexy. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Today, we have reached that point because the planet and the whole environment is so, is in such bad shape mm -hmm. that you don't need to have a, you know, a rocket science degree to know that our planet is seriously sick. Absolutely. But linking it to diet has been one of the last bastions. Yes. Because people have always been comfortable with recycling, switching yes. off the lights, switching off the taps, less public transport. People right. have embraced that for a while. But when it came to changing their diets, yes. self-sacrifice, <laughs> ooh, their big barriers came up, you know. People would tell me, it's all good, Bobsy, but just don't tell me what to eat, you know. So I'd always have to be very diplomatic in my 26 years journey right. here in Hong Kong and just trying to lead by example, lead by example, lead I, by example. I, um, I just can't say enough like how when you started this back in the early 90s, mm. wow. I mean, I remember how excited 
I was when I went to Bookworm Cafe. Oh, back in the day. Yes. I mean, what you know, year taking. Was, what year was that? I, I can't remember yeah. which year, but certainly that was a, a while taking ago. Taking the ferry. <laughs> taking the ferry. And that, that was definitely before I, um, you know, my wife and I had kids. So in the, you know, a year or two after I came back to Hong Kong. Right. You know, so the two of us, um, it was a very sweet weekend getaway. Mm. But at the, at the meantime, taking the ferry to, you know, Lama. Hippie land. And then, you know, finding, oh, you know, the address and then oh, bookworm cafe you know um, it's like visiting Mecca mm. <laughs> and life cafe of course yes. in Soho yeah so um, yes we have come quite a distance and in very short time in Absolutely. fact it's as if someone's pressed fast forward now I know and it suddenly makes sense to everyone you know climate change yes. diet change is just, just making sense and in fact for Millennials they are seeing this as common yeah. or even default. Yes. Now, it is starting to happen that it's the other way around, which is, why are you still consuming dairy? Yeah, that's how it begins. You know, why are you still drinking you know, yeah. dairy milk? So they're the odd ones out now, not the other way around. Yeah, so it's no longer a freak. You know, in certain occasions or circles, that, may, that is starting to happen, especially among young people. Yes. So, and then you start to see businesses or traditional businesses um, start to react and they're like, what is happening? Yeah. And I think in the US or in North America and in Europe right now, this sea change is becoming evidence. Mm. And it is changing the whole food scene in general. Mm. And Absolutely. of course, we are trying to Absolutely. push that in Asia. I'll never forget, um, maybe a year or so ago in, in, in Mana on Wellington Street, this young girl, um, we were chatting, there was a whole bunch of them from one of the um, schools. And I said, are you, all, are you vegan? Are you, are you girls vegan? One of them said, of course, duh. And then just <laughs> continued with our conversation. Duh. Why you know? do you even bother to ask? <laughs> So that, that's how evident it is to, you know, the younger generation. And, and this is how humanity's always changed. Yes. You know, radical ideas that are initially opposed and fought and oppressed suddenly become acceptable. And then, of course, it's like, well, of course the earth is round. Who said the earth was flat, you know? You know, nowadays when you ask someone who is a teenager, and you say, hey, do you know what, do you know Kodak? You ask them, have you heard of Kodak? <laughs> They're looking like, what? And then you show them like the old films yeah. that we use to take pictures right there. Like, That's ancient. What, what is that? Why would you do that? You it's know? like antique, right? Even compact discs, CDs. Yes. <laughs> we don't have to go back as far as Kodak. I know, CDs, CDs, man. I mean, MP3, I mean... Not to mention cassette tapes. I, oh. You know, that's ancient yeah. history. It's like from the Roman, Roman Empire, yeah, right. Empire or Prehistoric. Something. Yes, so it is stunning. Now, mm. in fact, last year, right, iPhone just celebrated their 10th anniversary last year. And I'm like, what? I mean, it seems like I've been using the smartphone forever. forever. Yeah, right. And thinking back, I mean, you know, now, in fact, they, recently they did a show. They they brought a, you know the show brought brings together a bunch of uh, teenagers mm. and give them a Nokia phone. 
Uh-huh. It's actually not that old. It's like from no. the early 2000s. They were pretty sexy, those Nokia phones. In fact, yeah. they were. Yeah. Um, you know, they were style, iconic. I had uh, a yellow and black one. I know. Those were, in fact, very stylish back yeah, then. Yeah. And you look at the kids, they're like, where's the camera? How, how do I use this? <laughs> you know, so... That's why when people ask me, what's my outlook? What do I see the world in terms of food mm. in the next 10 years? Mm. I say, maybe not even 10 years. Mm. It could even happen within the next five, four, five, yeah. six years. Yeah, yeah. In fact, even now, people ask me, oh, six years ago when I founded Green Monday, today. 2012, right? 2012. Yeah. I mean, had, did I envision this to happen? No. Now, I have a blueprint. I, I admit, absolutely, I had a blueprint. I knew we need to have these different components. If we are serious about making this change happen altogether, it's not going to be just a single angle. We need like multiple angles, you know, top down, bottom up, left, right, you yeah, name it. Yeah. That was my blueprint. But to actually see it materialize mm. and to see the society actually receiving yes. positively, yes. not negatively. Yes. I mean, this is surreal. It is surreal. Yeah, well, thank God, right? Thank God. Imagine if, if you know we hadn't started to change our way we farm and the way we grow food in the first place, the way we produce food. You know, we still have a very long way to go, a very, very long way to go. But uh, you know, our, our planet seemingly doesn't seem to have that much time left before uh, you know uh, our resources. Uh, you know that really matter our capital if you like starts to crumble you know it, it's 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 it, is it feels like it's a race against time it is a race you know, against time looking it at the bigger is, picture of things it is crumbling and not to be a pessimist but just to look at the objective scientific facts the clock is seriously ticking absolutely and like, let's say, originally, we may have, I don't know, let's say six hours before midnight. But that, the hands of the clock are actually moving faster and faster. So now, instead of six hours, it becomes like two hours. Yeah. yeah. I think this year, this summer, 2018. Oh, it's been a disaster. Still is. 41 degrees in Tokyo. 35 degrees in Sweden fires all over Scandinavia, a drought in England, in the UK for two months. I was in London, 36 degrees. Yeah. And they don't have air conditioning there. Exactly. Homes that aren't designed for, for this. It, it, you know it was 10 were? degrees over the normal temperature in July. A disaster. But you know what? We humans seem to be like that. We seem to have to burn our ten fingers in fire before we realize fire burns. Not one finger, not two, right. but all ten fingers. Ow, fire burns. We seem to need this kick up the butt because right now a lot of people are still standing on the fence. You know, you see in Hong Kong right. in, in the companies now, everybody's getting rid of the plastic straw. You know, that's the villain we love to hate. But we need more than moving away from plastic. Oh, stores. my God. We need companies, people to just 
get beyond the plastic straw. And, and if you care so much about the fish, don't worry about the plastic straws. Just stop eating them, you know? That makes so much sense. But going back to the science, if you aren't alarmed by global warming, then you haven't got your scientific facts correct. But at the same time, right. if you aren't heartened and encouraged by this people movement, mm. then you don't have a heart. So again, we're marrying science and spirituality, if you like, or science and awakening. Right. And we have this beautiful package, this yin and the yang that's forming the whole whole. Mm. You know? And for me, this is something I've always been inspired by. Back to 1989, when you asked me what happened then, I awoke to what we call the human potential, mm. people power. Right. We can change the world, but first we have to change our minds. And then we become these agents of change. Right. And we see this happening all over the world. Hundreds of millions of people yes. realizing, whoa, we only have one planet. Well, let's do something about it. Entrepreneurs like yourself right. who are really leading the way and showing that you can do proper business mm. and make change at the same time. So as Francis, who inspired you, charity is not just for the successful business people who have extra money to donate or make change, beautifully right. so. It's for businesses in the fundamental inherent structure yes. to do good at the same time as make profit. And this is something new, what perhaps is more known as social entrepreneurship. But I think we've gone beyond that now. Social entrepreneurship tends to be um, for a lot of companies that have become successful, mm. then they start doing social entrepreneurship, right. corporate social responsibility. But I think there's some, something much deeper than this, and we see it in Green Common, and that is that businesses are set up to do good. Businesses are set up to be change makers. Yes. Equally to making profits. Right. Not one before the other, yes. you know, and this, this, is, this is quite different and we see this now in Hong Kong and a lot of youngsters are coming through with this mentality. And, but at the same time, we see a lot of people jumping on the bandwagon, mm. right? And saying, you know, we've banned plastic straws, so hooray, you know, which is, which is good. But we need to really move beyond that quickly because of the collapse of our natural ecosystems, right? It's not just what you might call greenwashing to show right. that you're a, you know, you're a forward-looking company. But this can't happen unless the people running the company themselves can have that change. The way your father inspired you into Zen and you know, looking at life and understanding karma. Because once you understand karma, then you stop. You know? Yes. If you understand karma, you will not steal in your life. But if you don't understand karma, you're like, well, nobody's watching, you know? Yeah, exactly. But the law of karma, I mean, I'd say thank God for the law of karma. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, oh, really? You know, you, you, you just, you, you know, you, you just align with the universe. So, yes, I think um, the, the way, the rate, the earth the planet is collapsing and the rate we are so-called saving it yeah this is the rate oh, yeah. it's like going 2,000 miles an hour and we are doing 
crawling yeah. 10 miles per yeah. hour. Yeah. This is the way, the rates we're saving, yeah. this is the rates we're yeah. destroying. Yeah. And in fact, one of the major banks recently just made an announcement, very surprising, one of the biggest banks in the world, saying, you know, our resources and our rate of consumption are just not matching, you know. Mm. We're consuming a lot more than nature can give us. And for this to come from one of the largest banks in the world is very alarming, right? So, yes, I mean, we got to speed up. We got to step up. The clock absolutely is ticking. Ticking fast. Um, it, using your analogy of 10 fingers, actually, you know, five fingers are already burned. I'd say more than that. <laughs> I'd say we're on to the second hand now. Yeah, Realizing it's moving on to whoops, the second hand. Whoops. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, Green Monday was the first initiative you set up, right? And what was the very first thing you did? The, the very first thing we did with Green Monday was we launched the movement Green Monday at Cafe de Corral, the huge fast food chain in Hong Kong. They have over 150 branches. Yeah. And on a daily basis, they serve about 300,000 people. Just the fast food chain alone. Not the whole group, just the fast food chain. Now, looking back, it's almost not comprehensible that when you walk into mainstream fast food restaurant you could find zero vegetarian choice yeah but that was the reality oh, yeah. yeah those were the days yeah I walk into I still remember walking into Maxim's uh, the fast food yeah and I said you know hey I'm a vegetarian what can you make for me and literally like that person just say we don't serve you I'm like, okay, I'm in a rush, you know, I need to catch the train and you're the only place I can grab food, um, you know, grab a quick lunch. And then she said, okay, we'll just give you boiled vegetable. But they charged me the whole meal. Like it was, supposedly the meal was boiled, like vegetable with this. Yeah. And then they just take away that yeah. and give me this. And charge you the same price. Charge, you the same, charge me the same price. Yeah. That was one of the many, and I'm sure we all encounter it. Yes. I mean, whether you call it insulting, discouraging, uh, I mean, if anyone, the mind was just a little bit weaker, yeah. your conviction is not, it's just a little bit less strong, you would give up plant-based diets. Absolutely. Because of the barriers socially. Yeah. And the... Family pressure, peer pressure, and the social pressure. Practical lack of choice. Yeah. So the first thing we did, when we launched Green Monday was we launched Green Monday at CDC where like is I don't know what's so groundbreaking about it but they start launching every Monday Tuesday and Wednesday to put one or two vegetarian choices on the menu of 30 or 40 dishes yes one or two out of 40 yeah. And that was considered groundbreaking. Now looking back, it almost seems laughable. It is, it's, yeah. But that at that point, it was actually groundbreaking. Yeah. So that's where you launched Green Monday. Yes, and then we start doing it with numerous restaurants yeah. and schools. And then how did it become Green Common? Now, in my mind, 
and well, I'm sure that's also why you launched Mana, um, is you gotta give people a place to go to. Mm -hmm. um, Green Monday is about creating the culture. Yeah. It's about the advocacy, the movement. In a way, it's, it's changing demand. Changing minds, hence changing demand. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, you gotta change supply. Now, I start to know about, now this is weird coincidence, it's something about the universe. Mm. I start to know about companies such as Beyond Meat. A little bit, not long after I started Green Monday. Right. In fact, they, they also start not that long before we did. 2010? They started around 2009, 2010, yeah. but in terms of really scaling up their work, mm. I think about maybe 2011, 2012. Right. Um, Hampton Creek, which is the company that uh, create or innovate the vegan egg, mm. they were founded one month after we did. Mm. In fact, Grassroots Pantry was also one month uh, after we did. So we were all around 2012. Like yeah. it's kind of like all the babies were born in that same year. Yeah. Mana was March 2012. Yes. I think Grassroots was May. May and then Green Common. Uh, well, uh, Green Monday was April. Right, okay. Of 2012. Right. And then so Green Common opened. Also in April of 2015. In uh, near Hopewell Center, right? That was the first, Queens yes. Road in yeah. uh, Wan Chai. Queens Road East. So changing demand and then with groundbreaking innovative companies and products such as the Beyond Burger. Mm. Now at that point the Beyond Burger was not reality. It was no. only a PowerPoint slide. I I absolutely still remember every time, every instance when I visit the headquarter in LA. You know, at the first time I was not meeting with Ethan Brown, who mm. is the co who's the founder. Mm. I was meeting with his staff staff. Right. And you know, I introduced myself, I, I told them what we do and you know, any potential collaboration. I mean, they were small at that time. Mm. And they're like Hong Kong I mean we're not gonna expand to Hong Kong anytime Hong soon. Kong, right, yeah. You know, we are busy just doing like California. So they hadn't had their major funding by then, had they? Oh, just beginning. Right. So, but then I thought if this could become reality, that was back then, if this burger indeed could taste like real meat, mm. that would be a watershed moment because even if we don't talk about climate change, animal welfare, health, you know, and certainly not spirituality, to just normal everyday person, if we can just give them a burger yeah. and say, hey, you know, just try this, you know, tell me what you think. And if they can be satisfied or in fact impressed, I thought if this could happen, then the game turns. Yeah, right. So with, you know, Obviously, they have major big name investors uh, on their roster. But I said, you know, can we invest? That was back in 2014. Again, Beyond Burger was a PowerPoint slide. I said, you know, I am aligned with you. Now, Ethan himself is a very down to earth person. I've never met him. He's tall, like, like, okay, 
physically he's gigantic. He's about six five, and he looks like a basketball player, and right. and he's into basketball. But he is incredibly soft spoken. Like you almost need like speak up, Ethan, speak up. You know his physique and his voice like make don't a very match, yeah. don't match. He's super soft spoken and very low voice. Yeah. But finally, you know he he. He was touched by what we are doing on the other side of the world, mm. and we become good friends. Mm. And then, Green Common, the idea of Green Common, is that if we have these new products, these new brands, these new innovations coming into the world, now they need a place to sell. Mm. If you just put them on the shelf of a of your normal supermarket. I mean, that would only be one item, one product out of a hundred thousand mm. products. I mean, in fact, I I doubt if they would even get on shelf, right? Because you know the merchandising people of the supermarket would be like, vegan yeah. burger, you know? Yeah, yeah. Where's the market? Yeah, yeah. So, in order to create the market, we need places like this. Mm. To tell people that, hey, actually I love the vegan coffee mm. as much as, if not more, than I do with the non-vegan one. Yeah, yeah. And then prove to the market that there is demand. So that's the second major piece mm. of the whole structure. The puzzle of the puzzle yeah, yeah. is Green Common. Yeah. And and I also well besides selling Beyond Meat. Um, or beyond these like uh, products, I just thought that plant-based altogether, we need to create an experience for people because food is so much more than just eating the food. It's community, right? It is community. Yeah. It is social. It's community, yeah, absolutely. It is an experience. Yeah. I mean, why why are we here? Yeah. You know, is it's about the whole environment. Is the Community is the setting. Community for me means come into unity. Yes. And we've always done that around food. That's Traditionally, going way back, food has always brought the community together. Food anchors. Yes. Family. Food anchors community. Absolutely. So. That's why. That's why the word common. Yeah. Community, right? Yeah. Common. Yeah. In fact, Absolutely. that's how the word common. Yeah. Came about. Yeah. Community. Exactly. It is about green common. Is about building a green community. Yeah. Making green common. Yeah. So beautiful. It's not. You know, it's not a, an accident that we call it green common. No. <laughs> we didn't call it green markets. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's why we call it green common. Beautiful. I. When I was living in New York for over a decade,、um, I always drove up to Boston. Now, New York, of course, the most iconic park is Central Park. Yeah. But when I drove up to Boston, which is a town I love, beautiful town, yeah. Charles River, you know, all the universities. So green.、Um, but the park in the middle of town is called Boston Common. Yeah. And I always love. I fell in love with the name, Common, the first time I visit Boston. I'm like, 
what we call our park Victoria Park, mm. you know, Central Park, mm. Hyde Park mm. in London. But park is so much more than just green, yes. right? Yeah. It is community. It is a place where people convene, yeah. enjoy themselves. It is a social place. Well, this, this word goes back to the English who inhabited Boston back in the day. In England, they're called commons. So they belong to everyone. Exactly. Right? They belong to everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. And talking of common, now <laughs> you've developed something called Omnipork, right? Yes. Is this entirely your baby under your own management and production? Yes. And tell me a little bit about that. This is. I mean, obviously, we, we know Asia eats pork and, you know. Yes. This is. Um, even now, you ask me these questions, I get goosebumps. Uh, um, it is surreal how the universe works. We, okay, in my mind, if we have products such as Beyond Meats, Beyond Burger, now that, that is absolutely game changing. But living in Asia, being an Asian, yeah. I knew that that at most is only half the puzzle half of the equation. The other half is Asian dishes or mm. Asian food. Mm. Now, we love the Beyond Burger, but it doesn't mean you can eat that seven days a week. No. I mean, I'm pretty sure Ethan himself doesn't eat it seven you, days a you week. You wouldn't want to, right? I know. No. I mean, you need, that's, again, that's what is unique about yeah. food is, is we are enjoying the, the variety. Mm. And we're from Asia. So I always knew that if we could, if we create this, we kind of need to create the Eastern or Asian version of something like this. Yeah. Now, however, what is unique about the way Asians consume meat is that we don't have, it's not one iconic product or dish mm. such as sausage mm. or burger. Mm. We use meat or particularly pork in a very unique way. Pork is almost like a base ingredient Chinese people, Asian people, just they sprinkle pork everywhere. Yeah, almost like rice. It, yeah. It is so common. <laughs> no pun intended. That it's almost unconscious. Like they just add pork. Mm. Like recently I was asking people, like in Hong Kong, obviously dim sum is the iconic Hong Kong food. Yeah. And the most iconic dim sum is the shrimp dumpling, mm. ha gao. I ask around, I go around and ask people, do you know what is in the shrimp dumpling? And people is like, shrimp, and then the skin, you know, and then a little bit of maybe vegetables. Like, they forget the pork. <laughs> and they forget the pork. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, for the people who are familiar with food, then, you know, they know, but like three or even five out of 10 people would not mention the pork. But actually, pork is in Hagao. I got caught completely unawares because back in the day I was still eating fish. Ah. So I went to a dim sum on Lama Island. And, and you and thought I, you were okay. I asked for hagao because I thought it was a shrimp dumpling. Yes. And I'm eating it. I'm going, wait a minute, there's no shrimp in here. Like, <laughs> the, the owner started laughing at it because he knew. He knew. He started laughing and then we found out there was pork inside of it. Like, nine out of ten dim sums that you see, like if you read on the menu and it says, oh, mushroom dumpling, right? There's pork inside. And then Fan uh, Guo, uh, another you know iconic dim sum, yeah. pork inside. Yeah. 
You know, all the things that they don't mention pork even on the dish name, there's pork inside. Yes. So, by serendipity, I met this group of food scientists out of Canada. They happened to be leaving their previous companies. They want to stay in Vancouver, but they have been doing this for a long time. They're super experienced. Now, the best thing of all is that they are actually Asian Canadians. Now, they, their Chinese is not very good now, <coughs> but, <coughs> but they understand what char siu is. When I explain to them ha gao, oh, I mean, ha gao and char siu is just like sausage and bacon. Yeah. You know, yeah. in the West, it's, it's your staples. Yeah. I mean, so I told them, I said to them that I want to create a plant-based pork because if we want to change Asia, we need to create a pork replacement, an alternative pork. So a year and a half later, or now almost two years later, it became what is now we call only pork. And this is your independent move, nothing to do with Hamptons? Or no, right. it is ours. Amazing. The team Amazing. is in Canada. The, the R&D team is in Canada. The production is in Asia. We are launching it in Hong Kong. Yeah. But certainly with the goal to make this common. No. Couldn't have been cheap, right? The whole operation. Yeah. Now we are, now with, especially with bigger economy of scale, it should be absolutely affordable yes. to everyone. Yes. So what's next? Omni Chicken? <laughs> well, there are. It has to be that way, right? Because there are so many things. We love fish in this part of the world too. There are so many things that our team is, you know, just playing with right now. Yeah. Um, I think what is um, the first of all, the, the first thing is, we are very encouraged by the response that we get from chefs, mm. and of course from. Uh, and end users, meaning mm. the patrons. Mm. Mm. Um, recently, we just launched a the Shanghainese pan fry bun mm. with pork, of course, Sangjin mm. Bao, which is the most fundamental street food in Shanghai. Like, uh, give me a Sangjin Bao. Yeah. You know, whether it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, yeah. you know, people eat it. Yeah. Um, it's the type that that's soup. Uh, you know, uh, spilling out. Mm. When, you, when you take a bite, mm. soup spills out. Mm. It's a pan-fried Shanghainese bun. And we just launched it a few days ago at one of the most local chain that you can find in Mong Kok, in Shem Shui Po, and in Tai Po. And they have a shop in Causeway Bay too. And people are like, wow, this is, this is not pork? Now, now, of course, vegans and vegetarians love it. That's number one. But two is a lot of people taste it. They're like, this is clearly much less greasy, mm. much less fattening and mm. much less guilty. Mm. So they're like, hey, I mean, I can eat this every day and it tastes like pork anyway. It is pork. So it is giving us a lot of confidence yeah, that this is this concept is becoming mainstream yeah, yeah. because we are not just talking about you know, Central, Admiralty, Shenwan, 
Kennedy Town. Talking Sham Shui Po. Repulse Bay. We're not talking yeah. about these areas yeah. anymore. Yeah. We're talking about Sham Shui Po and Mong yeah. Kok. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the second day, on the second day it launched, Sunday, out of the four locations, Mong Kok was number one. The first day, as I expected, it was Causeway Bay. Yeah. That, you know, no surprise. Yeah. But the second day, it was Mong Kok. That sold the most. Um, and they're mentioning on the menu that this is vegan. They are. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, cool. And the owner of the chain was like, and, and you can tell, like, when you talk to the staff, you know, you order, hey, I want that green bun, you know? People are ordering that green bun and they say, oh, you gotta wait 15 minutes because, you know, the, last, the, <coughs> the last batch was just sold out. So yeah. you gotta wait, yeah. you know, can you wait 15? And people are like, sure. Yeah. So it is super encouraging. Nice, no, beautiful. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. We've come a long way. And as we were saying earlier, there's still a long way to come. So that's, you know, very, very positive indeed, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just so grateful. Mm. Um, the fact that this, we even have a chance to do this. Mm. I mean, as much as we know the mission, mm. you know, all the thoughts that we all have mm. collectively mm. behind this, to see that the needle is indeed moving. Yes. Um, and to be able to do this as my lifelong endeavor. It's, it's not just career. I w career is too small. Mm. To live it's my your life. Mission. Your mission. To, to spend my life doing this yeah. is a privilege. Are you not involved with the family business anymore? <laughs> less and less, right? Less and less. My brother, I mean, I got to say thank you to my brother because um, he has been spending a lot of time. Now he has his own business too. Right. Um, new business that are very successful, but he helps shares the load mm. of you know the family business, and of course you know my other family members, you know yeah. cousins. Um, so I'm two thousand percent dedicated to this. Nice. It's hard to drag me away from Green Monday and Green Con. No, why would you? You know, I mean, it, it makes a big difference. It's a change maker makes business sense it, it 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 covers the whole the whole you know <laughs> it is um it's actually very unfair to my staff because i can spend three hours in a meeting you know brainstorming the newest thing that we launch and then i'll give three minutes to the to my team members who are not doing green monday mm. but other things i'll say right. okay three minutes yes no go ahead yeah that's it yeah. But then, you know, and, and then I'll go into a three-hour meeting and, but that is... It's where your heart is. Exactly. That's where my heart yeah. is and I, I just, words can express how thankful I am mm. to be able to be in position to do this. It's a beautiful um, consciousness, isn't it, to be able to live your vocation to be able to follow your dream to follow your passion yes that is something that the greats have always had the privilege of whether they're writers or artists to be able to follow your passion and to be able to make a living from your passion but now the other dimension we've added is to be able to make good 
to be able to influence change when you are following your passion is something very, very powerful. It gives you not only peace of mind, but it gives you a purpose. It gives you something within that can carry you through all of this, through all the challenges, through all the ups and downs, that takes you beyond the mundane, beyond the everyday challenges we have. You know, it's, it's, you, you have to experience it to understand it. It is right? a dream. You have I to know it, to feel it, and feel it to know it. I guess, you know, I, a lot of people come to me for, you know, career advice or you know what they should do with their life especially once they know my path of you know starting green monday and green common and they want to pursue something similar according to their mm. dream or their and i always urge them that you know accumulate if they're very young you know accumulate some work experience or even some business experience because I don't want to sugarcoat it. Business can be cruel. It can be ruthless. Yeah. Um, and you may not survive. In fact, nine out of 10 or even 99 out of 100 new ventures don't survive. Mm. So you need to really equip yourself with the skill. It's almost like go out there and fail a few times. Yes. And then come back to me, right? But, but I would share that career advice, whatever you call it, but then after that, absolutely try and persevere to, to try to pursue your dream. Because today, you know, six years later, now I'm sitting with you, you know, sharing with an audience about my journey and like people would come up to me and say, oh, you know, I see you on the cover of this, I see you on the magazine. I said, you know, not that long ago, I was considered a moron. Mm. <laughs> I'm like you. You see the, you know, the glamorous or the, but it's all the hard work and all yeah. the pain yeah. that went in, uh, and all the perseverance and and honestly sacrifice mm. before you even have a chance to reach this. So um, it's important for people to understand that yeah. that you don't just land on the cover of a magazine overnight, right? There's a long, long journey. I mean, some people are lucky. They hit it off in the beginning, and especially now with social media. But the reality is they don't have the foundation. So they can collapse and crumble at any given moment. Now, the perfect example is uh, Peggy. Yeah. Now, again, Peggy's on the same That's cover. That's Peggy Chan, our friend. Chan. Yeah. Now, grassroots, of course, you know, um, ex extremely popular, you know, a go-to place. And when anyone, you know, say, hey, you know, uh, a vegan restaurant, her name and her restaurant is definitely one of them. Mm. But back then, her first location was in Sayangbon. And I remember the first time trying to find it. I was, you know, trying to find parking. And I kept walking past that little cul-de-sac yeah. alley. Yeah. Because I'm like, this cannot be it. Because no. there were garage. Yeah. Um, you know, car fixing garage before you can actually reach. So it was an alley, but yeah. even the deepest corner of the alley. Yeah. And I think there were about 12 seats on the ground floor. Yeah. Like six tables. Yeah, it was small. Yeah. But Peggy was actually in 
Peninsula and Four Seasons before she went on to start that tiny, Absolutely. small yeah. shop, yeah. which now become the grassroots pantry on yeah. Hollywood Road, yeah. which now she's now on the cover of Tetler. Yeah. But it's that journey, and she easily could have stayed at Peninsula or Four Seasons, yeah. and her resume would be beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And she certainly no, wouldn't need to worry about her pay. No, uh, but I, I know Peggy from those days because she was a regular in life. And I knew that she wasn't satisfied with the big hotels, even though she was, you know, having a dream job, so to speak. But her soul wasn't satisfied. She wanted to go out and change. I don't know if you know this, but Peggy and I were partners for about six months. I didn't know that. Before Mana, before Grassroots, we okay. were trying to build something together right. called Babylon. Okay. And we partnered up for six months and we started to talk to investors and we raised a bit of capital from investors and then they would pull out for whatever reason and then suddenly we had no more money and this journey was going on and this was 2011. Mm. And I remember getting a phone call from Peggy. I was in London in April of 2011 and she says, Bobsy, I can't do this anymore. This is so stressful. Yes. These investors are just driving us crazy. Yes, one day, no, the next. Yes, one day, no, the next. And Eventually, we decided to go our separate ways, and then, you know, we, we started Mana, and then shortly after, not too long, she opened Grassroots Pantry, and off she went, you know. But it, it took us that period together to realize how difficult it is to raise capital, you know, especially back then. We will need a whole different episode oh, if yes. we get into that topic. Yes. My stories of talking to investors Wow. I mean, people come to you and say, well, you know, David, we support you so much. You're doing so much good for the world, for the community. You know, I'm, your, I'm a big fan. And then uh, let us know how we can support. Or people who come in and say, hey, you know, let us take a look. You know, we may be interested. Those journey, that part of the journey, I mean, it, not only was it exhausting, discouraging, painful, yeah. um, dispiriting. Yeah. I mean, that was tough. I mean, if I mean, again, another reason I gotta thank my my dad. He's not with. He's not here anymore. He passed away nine years ago. But if not because of the resources that I can tap into. If not because I'm willing, I was stupid enough to bet on myself mm. and to believe in this mission that one day it could work. Yeah. That would be no green common. No. Because at the end, just like that conversation, you know, or those days, you know, when you and Peggy mm. talking to investors, in, out, in, out, stress. Drives you crazy. Drives you crazy. And people are always like that. I mean, is first of all, if you present an idea to them, oh, forget it. I mean, and then even if you have a working template, yeah. they still don't get it. Till this day, David, till this day, even with the yes. success of Mana, people are like, yeah, you know, but can you repeat it? Can you, you know, can you, you know, that, did you know to open Life Cafe, yeah. it took me five years, literally, five years from 
early 2000s right. to 2004. Every day of my life, David, talking to people. Because Bookworm was successful. Right. People are like, yeah, but that's on Lama Island. Yeah. You know, everybody's a hippie there. It's easy. So trying to take <laughs> Bookworm to Central. Right. Five years. Couldn't raise the capital. Eventually, we like, we opened Life Cafe and bam, success. Tremendous success. Queues down the road. But people forget that that journey was five years. Entrepreneurship, I mean, they always say what? Whatever overnight success you have is actually 10 years in the making. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, if not longer. If yeah. not longer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've been vegetarian now for 17 years since 2001. Yeah. I mean, of course I didn't know back then that this would become my career, my no. life. No. Um, my, my mission. But it's 17 years in the making. I'm not a chef. I'm not trained as a culinary expert by any means. But every day when you do something for 17 years, three times a day, you have to become an expert mm -hmm. of that particular subject. Not because I went through some PhD it's at Harvard. Experience. It's called experience. It's yeah. called experience. You know, it's called life university. Yeah. It's the university of life. Yeah. Yeah. And when you do something three times a day, 365 days a year for 17 years, and you, know, you travel, you meet people, you inspire, you are inspired by some. And like today, people are like, Oh, so how did you meet these people back then? How do you become friends? Um, how do you approach them? How did you, how, how do you get that partnership? I'm like, no, we did not sit down to talk about business. I did not approach them with a business mindset. We became friends. We were so aligned. It was like, you know, these are all kindred spirits. Mm in our space, right? We share equal dedication to this mission. And you sit down with a person who share that mission. Even if you meet that person for the first time, you feel like you have known each other for life. Absolutely. It's what I call the same tribe. It's the tribe. The same, the same tribe, you know. You, you, yes, you're the kindred spirit. So you're connected on a deeper level, beyond the physical, beyond the outer appearance. And there's nothing more powerful in the world, is there? That's the most powerful, that's what gives you goosebumps. Yeah? <laughs> and, you know, after five, 10, 20 coffee or meals or encounters, and then one day you're like, hey, you know, I'm in Hong Kong, I'm in Asia. You know, you are in the US. How can we help you? Yeah. That's what can we do together? That's how many of these conversations started. It wasn't like, oh, let me give you a business proposal and I will put you in 200 restaurants, 1,000 points of sales. It wasn't nothing like that. Sure. So anyway, I mean, this just, again, I mean, I, I, if there's always a theme every day when I wake up is, I am just so thankful. Indeed. I think we should be thankful every day just for waking up, right? Indeed. Just for waking yes. up to 
to give thanks I know. Um, to the powers that be, to the Almighty, to, to God, if you're comfortable with that word, to the universe, to be given another chance, another day, you know, to not take that for granted, because without our breath, without our life, there's nothing, right? On that subject, although slightly different, do you remember Positive News, David? Vaguely, you got to tell me. We published this um, in 2004 till 2011, bilingual English and Chinese. So mm -hmm. this was Positive News, the Hong Kong edition. Mm. And it was a free publication. We published it four times a year, spring, summer, autumn, winter. And it spoke about all the positive things happening in Hong Kong mm. and Asia and the world. But this was a Hong Kong edition, so we really focused on a lot of the change makers in Hong Kong. And then we, disc we stopped it in 2011 mm. because it was becoming very tiresome to raise the funds and right. find the time and convince advertisers to advertise. So it blew the sales, knocked the, the wind out of our sails. So we pressed pause. But what we're doing on the 24th of this month right. is we're holding a pop-up exhibition at the Haven on Wyndham Street, Jakarta Travel. Right where we're showcasing every single issue of mm. positive news from 2004 to 2011. And Mana's catering it and we're going to have music. So please come, mm. if you can find the time, on the Friday and witness something that truly was a change maker in Hong Kong. Because a lot of these people that were featured, I think hey. Francis was featured, mm. a lot of these people that were featured back right. then have become either well-established now mm or uh, change makers. Um, so we're doing this pop-up exhibition just to honor positive news. Mm. And of course, there is the question, is there a future for positive news Hong Kong? And that's open to be seen. So August 24th marked the date. Yeah. And it will be held at The Haven. Yeah, on Wyndham Street. Wyndham Street. And it's free, and there's going to be really good food and drink and some really funky music. And uh, cool. it's going to be a nice, nice evening. We've invited a lot of the people who were featured in this. And mm. you'd be surprised who was featured and what people were doing back mm. in 2004, 2005. Right. This movement had already happened, but it was at the grassroots. Yep. You know? But there was tremendous change happening in Hong Kong, yeah. in our city. And then in Asia, of course, and globally, truly inspirational stories. And we covered that, mm. and hence positive news. Right. Um, so yeah, please, please come and uh, have a look, see, and uh, you'll meet some cool people, including all the past editors, right, and the founders. Um, Peter Lloyd's flying in from the UK, the, where he lives. I think you know we really again need to give thanks to the group of people who made yeah positive news, yeah, and of course the change makers, yeah who are trying to create positive change. Yeah. Not just to Hong Kong, but to the world. After all, we all share the same planet. We all share the same home. And on that positive news, David, <laughs> I thank you for having breakfast with me. Okay. Thank yeah. you, thank you for having on me. On this lovely, beautiful yes. Hong Kong day. The post-typhoon. Yes, post-typhoon, winds yes. of change. I know, feels much better. Here they are blowing. I know. Yeah. Thank and you. Welcome to Mana Cafe, right? Your first time and, here. And to anyone who hasn't tried the signature, yeah. four dimension coffee, you're, you're missing out. <laughs> Come on and check it out. Yes. On that note, I thank you.